Welcome to the Fervent Life Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are on part two of a series called Things That Keep Us From Living a Fervent Life. And today we're talking about unresolved sin. Now I feel like I should start by defining what I mean by unresolved sin. For me, I personally see it as any addiction or habitual sin that we have A, not brought to God, B, not brought to trusted brothers or sisters in Christ, and C, not sought the help that we need. And this sometimes includes going to a counselor or even seeing a therapist. Every human being's struggle with unresolved sin is unique because every human being's story is unique. And although 1 Corinthians 10.13 promises us that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, our healing journeys may look different because of our specific scars. For instance, experts say that the cycle of grief has five stages, but the path that one takes through those stages looks different for each person. One person might bounce back and forth between two of those stages for years, while another might just check them off the list in a predictable, orderly fashion. The process of finding victory over unresolved sin is very similar in my opinion. The cycle of healing, much like the cycle of grief, has different ups and downs for every person, but also like the grief cycle, the healing journey touches on several common areas for everyone. And in my opinion, it it requires action steps in these three categories for all of us. Number one, honesty with ourselves. Number two, honesty with God. And number three, honesty with the body of believers. Notice that I use the word healing and not forgiveness throughout this post. That's because for me personally, I believe in the total forgiveness of sins at salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that once you have asked Jesus to forgive you and you've placed your trust in him for eternal salvation, then all your sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. And as Hebrews 10.18 says, And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. But even though we've already been forgiven of unresolved sin, we still have to deal with it. We still have to heal from it. If we don't, we'll never experience the abundant, fervent life God has for us. Now, obviously, there's no way I could possibly address every aspect of dealing with unresolved sin for every believer in a single podcast. Nor am I a pastor or a licensed therapist. But what I can do is share three action steps that have helped me in my own struggle. Let's start with number one, honesty with ourselves. There is a single door that blocks the flow of healing. There is one locked door that can keep healing and restoration from ever entering our lives. And the only person who can open it is us. Even Jesus himself respects this door. Revelations 3.20 says, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. I believe we are saved by grace and not by works. However, I also believe that God requires one thing and one thing only, that we choose to receive the gift he's offering us. I believe the same thing is true with sanctification. 
although it is absolutely the power of the Holy Spirit who heals our hearts and enables us to find victory over sin, we must all choose to step out in faith and do what God is telling us to do. Christianity is about a relationship with God, and a relationship requires two active and willing participants. That's how God has designed relationships to work. I think, personally, no verse sums this up as clearly, in my opinion, as Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 through 20. It says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. We can never be free from unresolved sins until we learn to choose life. The abundant, powerful, victorious life Jesus talks about. This action requires that we reach a point where we are honest with ourselves, where we admit how lost and helpless we are in our sin. And we recognize our desire and need for God to work in our lives. Then we have to choose to open that door and let him in. Which leads us to the next point, number two, honesty with God. Now this step, I believe, will expose how we view God how we see our identity in light of Christ, and how we view the nature of our relationship with God and honestly Christianity as a whole. If we view God as an angry judge, we will shy away from opening up to him about our struggles. If we believe our salvation is not sealed, we will be overwhelmed by fear and crushed by the unbearable weight of trying to keep it all together. But if we view God as our loving Heavenly Father, as He has revealed Himself in the Scriptures to be over and over, who has purchased our total forgiveness and salvation through the sacrifice of His beloved Son, then we will feel free to approach Him boldly, as Paul said, and we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most, Hebrews 4.16. 1 John 4.18 tells us, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. It has helped me immensely to remember this truth. God convicts, Satan condemns. God might speak to your heart through the Holy Spirit and tell you that a certain behavior is harmful and you need to go in the opposite direction. Satan will show you an endless replay of your mistakes and tear you down by telling you you're worthless, you're a mistake, God hates you, and there is no hope for you. If you hear the loving voice of a heavenly father urging you to turn away from a harmful habit, follow his voice. But if a voice is constantly berating you, telling you you're too far gone and you should just give up and hide, that's Satan. Should we feel condemned when we mess up? No. And here's why. Romans 8.1 declares, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
In verses 33 to 34, it also says, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Aren't we supposed to repent for the bad things we do? Yes. But contrary to popular belief, repentance, it doesn't mean wallowing in guilt and paying emotional penance. Rather, it simply means to turn away from something and go in the opposite direction. Jesus took all of our shame when he offered himself up to be crucified. Colossians 2, 13-14 says, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Because of this, we can be honest with God about our sins and our addictions. We can stumble into his throne room and ask him for help. And we will find grace and mercy. Don't be afraid to tell him your darkest secrets and your deepest struggles. He is the only one who has the power to help us find victory over sin. But we can never experience that power, that victory, if we have never brought our sins to him. Number three is honesty with the body of believers. Now, please keep in mind, this doesn't mean you must pour out your sins and addictions to every single believer you meet. (laughs) Even Jesus didn't tell everything to everyone all the time. Jesus practiced the wisdom of discretion multiple times in the scriptures, and I believe we should too. But the Bible also illustrates, especially in the New Testament, that we aren't meant to live this life alone. God tells us we should meet with other brothers and sisters regularly. We should help carry each other's burdens, encourage each other, and break bread with one another. God designed the church to act as a family unit, living life together. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now notice this verse says to confess our sins to one another so that you may be healed. So confessing our sins and struggles with the body of believers has nothing to do with finding forgiveness. We have already been forgiven because of Christ and the trust we placed in him at the moment of our salvation. The only time we are called to seek forgiveness by speaking to a human being is if we have personally offended someone by our sin But the point of that is to bring restoration to the relationship and to remove any animosity or attitudes that might hinder our our intimacy with God, our time with him. It's not to secure our eternal salvation. Notice also that it doesn't say confess your sins to each other so that they may reprimand you and give you a long list of things you should do to make up for your mistakes. It doesn't even say so you can brainstorm together and come up with strategies to keep you from sinning again. No. It says, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, this paints 
a beautiful picture of brothers and sisters surrounding each other with humility and support and love, taking part in spiritual warfare on each other's behalf and lifting up one another by praying for healing and restoration that can only come from God through the power of His Holy Spirit. See, James understood that restoration from sin cycles lies in the power of God and not in human strategies. He illustrates that it's not so much about stricter rules and and better accountability tools than it is about deep, personal healing of the soul by the power and grace of God. Because of Jesus Christ, God's righteous justice was satisfied. So that now when he looks at us, he no longer sees a criminal to punish. He sees a child to heal. Yes, God disciplines us sometimes. But God's discipline is different than God's punishment. God's righteous punishment for all of our sins fell on the shoulders of Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross for our sake. And there, as Jesus himself said, it is finished. Because of Jesus... The point of God's discipline now is no longer to make us pay for our sins. Rather, it's to grow us and heal us and draw our hearts closer to him. Hebrews 12, 5 through 6 says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart. When he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his children. Encouraging words. Wow. (laughs) God goes so far to prove the nature of his discipline that he calls it an encouraging word. The discipline talked about in this verse flows not from a righteous judge seeking judgment. Christ already accomplished that. And because of the new covenant we have through Jesus' blood, the discipline we experience now is that of a loving father, guiding us towards growth and maturity with gentleness, kindness, and grace. I pray that this post, this episode encourages you. And if you're on a journey right now of healing from unresolved sin, I pray you may feel secure and loved enough to open that door and bring your struggles to God, to pour out your heart to him and find a trustworthy group of believers you can be real with about your struggles, a group that will encourage and support and pray with you to find healing. Be encouraged, beloved, please. You are not alone. God is with you and nothing can ever separate you from his love. I felt led to end this episode Um, by reading Romans 8, 38 through 39. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I hope you guys have an awesome week. If you ever want to contact us, you can always do so on our website at www.theferventlife.org under the Connect tab. See you next week. Thank you.